Good morning, church. How is it? This, how is everybody this morning? I hope everybody is having a wonderful Sunday morning. It's nice spring weather, and I hope everyone's ex- as excited as I am to be in the Lord's house today. I'm excited to see everyone, and I'm excited that things are starting to move back to normal. I started writing down announcements. And I went from saying, well, I don't really have any announcements. I hope y'all enjoy y'all's day to my announcements are going to take till 12 o'clock and then Artie's going to start preaching. So I, we will have you guys home by four today. But uh, no, there are a few things you need to know. The Baptist men, uh, Whitey, wants to meet with you guys in the choir loft right after church today. And then also related to Baptist men, we're going to have a work day, not this Thursday, but next Thursday, or this coming Thursday. This coming Thursday at 6 o'clock, weather permitting at 6 o'clock. So keep that in mind. Um, As far as meetings go, if you're on the personnel committee, um, they want to meet right after church as well. I'm not sure where at. I would assume one of the back corners. So just uh, watch out for, if you're on there and you're not in charge, look out for somebody who is in charge. And, and uh, oh, Jamie, baby, back there, look, at, look for Jamie. She's sitting right there. Uh, personnel committee right after church today. Next Sunday, deacons, we have a deacons meeting at 8.30 that morning. And then um, following service that day, we will have our business meeting right after service next Sunday. May the 1st, we are beginning our first Saturday breakfast back again. Get excited about that. Invite your friends out. Uh, Invite people, you know, somebody you may know looking for a church, someone you may know just wanting to come out and fellowship, come out and uh, support the Baptist men and just enjoy some time together. And The last thing on my list of announcements is for me an announcement. So Wednesday at 6 o'clock for our youth and kids, we are going to have um, an ice cream gathering. And here's what I want to use this for. I want to use this as an opportunity because if, if you offer food, it's like in the field of dreams when he said if you build it they will come right everybody seen that movie well if you offer food they will come so tell the tell your kid youth kids uh anybody you know that's in school any age that we are giving out free ice cream on wednesday night it is an opportunity to get them in the door of the church to get them on the premises um evangelize to them, witness them, invite them to our church services. Um, So just keep that in mind Wednesday. If you want to come out and help serve ice cream, uh, that would be a big help. Um, If not, uh, come out and come out and check us out anyway. I promise you adults, if you come looking for ice cream, I'm not going to turn you away. So keep that in mind. So, uh, so we'll have a look. Joanne's over nodding about ice cream. Artie and Joanne was talking about it. They're like, yep. So come out for some ice cream with all the fixings on top of it at 6 o'clock. That's 30 minutes before normal time. And we will finish splitting up into groups and going to our normal Bible studies that evening. Um, I don't think there are any more announcements.
Um, I just hope you guys enjoy the service, and I just pray the Lord blesses you today. Good morning. Thank you for being here with us, and it's exciting to see people here, and exciting to know that we're getting geared up to do more and more things. I've already been talking to Chad about stuff for the summer for the youth and children, and, and making plans for that. And not only that, but we have homecoming coming up in June. So uh, we'll be geared up for that. We're excited about everything going on. But we do need to share with you some um, prayer requests. Um, one, um, we have a young lady that our family is very close to. And um, a friend of our daughter, um, her mother has lung cancer, was diagnosed about a year ago with, uh, or a year and a half ago with, terminal lung cancer, um, had a problem breathing yesterday. Her father took her to the hospital, and she has blood clot in her lungs. So please pray for her. Um, I don't know her name, the mother's name. Daughter's name is Lauren. So just pray for Lauren's mom. And Lauren, Lauren's got two small children. Her son is four years old. Her baby is not even a year old yet, so please remember her as well as they go through that. And then Doyne shared with us, everybody's aware of the shooting that took place in um, South Carolina recently, and that five people are already dead, and uh, the young man that, um, that was in the hospital, that as of... Friday was doing better. He was stable. Well, apparently he passed away last night. So uh, this is a young man. He's father of three. And his name is Robert Shook. Shook. Doyne works with his uncle, um, Mr. Hebner. And um, pray for the Hebner family and the Shook family this morning. Um, as they are mourning this loss. Also, um, Laura shared with me that a friend of, of theirs, the Tessner family, their son was about 32 years old. He um, was dealing with PTSD from being in the military. Um, he was in Tennessee, and he committed suicide last night. So pray for, for that family as well um, today. And pray for us all. We are here. Those are heavy prayer requests. Those are heavy matters of prayer. But we are here to celebrate our Lord and Savior. We're here to worship Him. And no matter what the devil throws at us, we cannot allow Him to steal our joy that comes through salvation. The joy of knowing that we have a Savior that cares about us, that walks through with us and hurts just like we hurt and cares about us to the point where He knows how many hairs we have on our head. So at this time, as we begin our service together and begin our worship of our Lord and Savior, please join me in prayer. Our Lord Jesus Christ, we come before You right now entering into the Holy of Holies through the curtain that was torn because you died on the cross for us as our Passover lamb. 
till, Lord, we enter into your presence, joined together in your name, knowing that you promise that if two or three are gathered together, you will be in the midst. And we know you are here with us right now. And we are here because you are a holy God that looked down on us sinners and had mercy and showed your love to us and a way of renewing our relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And dear Lord, we lay these requests at your feet right now. Please be with the Tessner family. Be with the Hebner and Shook family. Be with Lauren's family right now, dear Lord. Each of these, they need your presence. They need your strength right now. Dear Lord, give them the peace that only you can provide. Give them the strength to endure what they are dealing with right now. And dear Lord, above all, allow this to be an opportunity that they grow closer to you. Dear Lord, be with us today as we gather together to worship you in this house. Thank you for those that are here. Thank you for those that are watching online. Dear Lord, I ask you that you fill us each with your spirit and that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we have been in your presence today. As we sing, as I preach, dear Lord, just let your spirit move us. Open our hearts, open our ears that we may hear from you today and that when we leave this place, we will not be in the same place that we were when we came because we have been in your presence that your countenance will shine upon us as we go from this place today. And may everything that's done and said be to your honor and glory. And it's in the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Savior, we pray. Amen. I have some exciting news this morning. Our Savior has risen. We know that. We have been brought up in church where there's a church on every street corner. And we have had that opportunity to come to church as we please and to tell others this wonderful news. But there are places here in America, in Canada, where they haven't been brought up in churches. Churches are not near them. So thank the Lord for our home missions where we have our own missionaries that go out and they spread this wonderful news. They also build churches in areas that don't have churches. But we, as the Southern Baptists, we support them through our Annie Arm Easter offering. We set a goal of $2,000. We have so far given $1,260. We're not far from reaching our goal, which will be the first time in a long time reaching this goal for our church. Well, what happens is we walk out and we forget. Well, this is our last Sunday to give. 
So we're going to take a moment for you just to reach in your pockets and uh, come at this time and drop it in the Easter basket. And hope, just hopefully we'll reach our goal of $2,000. So as Lisa plays for us, if you have any money to drop in the basket, just do so at this time. What a beautiful sight to see people participating and giving to this cause. Thank you so much. We'll let you know next Sunday how much our church has given. But because of what Jesus did um, for us, we now can sing that because he lives, we can face tomorrow. So let us stand as we sing 407, the first and the last verses of Because He Lives.
thank you. Good morning again. I am glad to be up here. It's always smiling. I promise you that the smile is not fake when I'm up here. Oh, it's so excited this morning to look back in the back corner and see two kids I haven't seen since here since the pandemic began. And uh, I got to see Brooklyn today. So I have several new kids, not new kids, but hey, they feel like new kids. I'm back. They're, they're back after the pandemic and things going on. Uh, I want to invite the kids to, to focus on me this morning before we go out for Children's Church. And uh, if you're at home, invite you to bring your kids to the front because I want to talk about something that nobody came to church planning to talk about today. We're going to talk for a second about Bigfoot. <laughs> Do you know that there have been, this was last year, there have been 98 Bigfoot sightings in North Carolina. Raise your hand in here if you've seen Bigfoot. Anybody? Oh, well, there's a couple. Okay. There's a couple of kids who saw it. I don't, I'm not even going to indulge what she's got to say. So, um, no, Bigfoot is, is a myth in our country. And there have been sightings all over the country for Bigfoot. The most are in Washington State. And a lot of us, I say Bigfoot's a myth because I've never saw Bigfoot. I've never saw evidence of Bigfoot myself. Sometimes it's hard for us to believe things without seeing it. And I want to talk about somebody this morning who had a little bit of trouble believing something that he couldn't, that he didn't get to see. After Jesus was resurrected from the grave and was Saul at the tomb, he came to his disciples in a room, and I thought this was, this is just like cool because they were in a room with a door lock, and poof, Jesus is there. I don't know, I wasn't there, I don't know exactly what it looked like, but Jesus came in, door locked, and but there was one disciple who wasn't there, and his name was Thomas. So the other disciples went to Thomas, and they were like, guess what, Thomas? We saw Jesus, and Thomas is like, ah, I doubt it. Probably not. I'm not going to believe it until I'm able to see it for myself and place my fingers in his nail wounds and in his spear wound. And uh, sometime later, the disciples were together again, and Thomas was there this time. And Jesus appeared again, and Thomas still, before Thomas believed, he needed to stick his finger in the wounds of Jesus. And Thomas did believe after he saw it. And I'm glad Thomas believed. But Jesus had some things to say to him about it. This is what he said. John chapter 20, verse 20 verses 27. It says, Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hand. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. And then Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. But then Jesus said this. He said, Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. And that was good. And he said, But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. None of us were here thousands of years ago when Jesus was crucified on that cross and got to see it and got to see the resurrection and see him during his 
time on this earth after the resurrection. We are believing without seeing. There's oxygen all around us. We can't see it, but we breathe, and yet we know it's there. We know it's there. I can't physically lay my eyes on the God of the universe, but I see trees and children and beautiful people and, and flowers and plants and, and all of God's creations, and I know that God exists. And I wasn't there the day that Jesus Christ was in that room with his disciples to see, but I feel it in my heart. And I know that Jesus is alive, and one day he's coming back for us. And I'm so thankful for that. So what I'm going to encourage the kids today, and what I want to encourage everyone is, don't always wait till you see something to believe it. I'm not saying that, no, that big, Bigfoot's real. We go back to that. I'm not saying that Bigfoot's real. I wasn't when I was up here preaching. I'm saying that it's, sometimes we have to believe things without seeing it. Let's bow our heads. And when we're finished, I'm going to line up with the kids at that back door there. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for Jesus Christ dying and raising from the dead. Thank you for loving us that much. God, help us to have faith to believe without, having to, without being able to see the nail wounds in Jesus' hands. Lord, we love you and we praise you. All we ask in your name. Amen. I was on such a positive note a while ago. And now then, I'm going to ask you to make a confession. Have you had a tough time in your life at one time? There are plenty of times when we, as even Christians, have it tough. Even believers, we have trouble and we have heartache. That's just part of life. We work hard all of our lives, and we plan for our future. We plan for our marriages. We plan for our children, their futures, our careers, our homes. But things don't always go as we had planned. Marriages break up. We're separated by death. We're separated by divorce. Our jobs end. Our children have their own minds made up what they're going to do then life becomes one big confusion because it wasn't what we had planned. Our plans are destroyed. So yes, for all of us, we have gone through that tough time. But Jesus didn't promise that it was going to be a smooth road or that it was going to be a life free of pain. In fact, he did say, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that's exactly what he did when Jesus died on the cross and rose again. Because he promised that this world is not our home. He has planned a beautiful home in heaven where we will spend eternity with him.
thank you, choir, for that. The title of my sermon today is If This Is Love. And I want to start by looking at 1 John 4 and some verses there that John writes in that epistle to get us started. So if you turn to 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. And if you would stand, once you get there, if you'd please stand as I read God's Word. says this, John writes these words, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we come before You once again, thanking You for what John writes in Your Word. We thank You for inspiring him to write these words. Dear Lord, may we receive them and it's in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. You see, there is a, a, common problem that is infecting every church now in our society. Over the last several years, we have grabbed hold, and I've even preached that to be a disciple of Christ, we have to love one another. And that's true. He says, by this all men will know that you are my disciple, that you love one another. Here we read that God is love. But I remember as a small boy, people running around with flowers and and dancing, and, and all this stuff, and they're saying, God is love. I remember seeing that, and, and churches have embraced that, and we've taken it to the point where we have grabbed hold of what society says. And what society says is this, is that if you love someone, you accept everything that they do. My own children, just like your children. If you say something to them about their behavior, they'll respond with something, oh, don't be a hater. Or something like that. Anybody ever heard that? Oh, they're just hating on you. We have a misconception about what love is and what these verses in God's Word really mean to us. See, the first point I want to make is this, is that Christian love has become tolerance, acceptance, and approval of sin. 
That's what's being taught from the pulpits today in a lot of churches. That is what our young people are growing up misunderstanding. They think that if you love somebody, that you approve of everything they do. Well, I'm sorry. I love my children. When they were young, I told them, don't run out in the street. And if they ran out in the street, I gave them a whooping. Why? Because my whooping was going to hurt them a lot less and teach them a lesson than it would be if they got hit by a car. Because I loved them, not because I hated them and I didn't want them to do what they wanted to do. It's because I love them. But that's been, become so twisted and set askew in society today that churches have grabbed hold of that because we're afraid of offending somebody. And we've stopped calling sin is sin in the name of love. And it's not anything new because Paul preaches about it to the Corinthian church. You see, there was a somebody in their church that was living in a sinful relationship with his mom. And they were accepting of that in the name of love. And Paul lays it out straight with them and says, this is not acceptable. You can't do this. If God says something is wrong, it is wrong and it needs to be dealt with. You see... In Romans 1.32, we read these words. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. See, there's a problem when we know what is right, but we approve and participate in things that we know are wrong when we know they're right. James says, for him who knows to do right and does it not, to him it is sin. And what exactly is sin? Sin is anything that goes against God's standards. It is anything that falls short of perfection. Not our perfection, but God's perfection. You see, sin is actually used in archery. I, didn't know, I don't know if any of you know that. When you're shooting archery, your goal is to hit the target, but not just hit the target, but hit the bullseye of the target. And so how far off of the bullseye you are is how much you've sinned. So if you hit the bullseye, Great. Dead center. Great. If you barely miss that bullseye, you've sinned by a certain, certain amount of space. And the more you miss it by, the greater the sin. Well, that's the same thing with us. That's what sin is. Our bullseye, our dead center is Jesus Christ. And anything short of that is sin. It's when we say, I want it my way instead of God's way. And we put levels of sin. We have little sins and big sins. Well, Jesus died for all of those. Okay? Sin is sin. But in a quest to fit into a society, love has been redefined 
as unrestricted acceptance and approval of sin. And that's in the churches. But at the same time, authentic love has been labeled as intolerance and hate in churches. We take Scripture and we twist them around to mean things that it's not. In fact, this past Wednesday night, something was shared for me from a post from a church in Charlotte and they were celebrating Transgender Day at this particular church. And they used the Scripture that says there, there is therefore no Greek or Jew, no male or female, all is one in Christ. To support the fact of trans, this transgender day. Saying everybody's welcome, we're all the same, it doesn't matter. Well, here's the thing. When you do that, basically what you're saying is God made a mistake. But the God I serve is perfect. The God I serve, the God I read about in Scripture, He makes no mistakes. Everything is for a reason. Everything is for a purpose. God doesn't call something sin because He made a mistake. And we twist Scripture to mean what we want it to mean instead of reading it for what God says. And the biggest thing that we have to realize is this, is that approval of sin mocks the cross. Now understand what I said. Approval of sin mocks the cross. 1 John 4.10, the next verse from when we stopped reading in this passage, it says this, In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. What does that verse say? That verse says this, is that God commends His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He paid the price that we owed. That is what love is. Not because we deserved it, but because God loved us. The love of God is about delivering people from sin, not celebrating their sin. And church, that's what we do nowadays. Society, and we've allowed society and, and, and the fear of being labeled some ism to keep us quiet and, and keep us approving of everything that the Bible says is wrong. And I'm going to tell you something, church, I'm not perfect. There is not a perfect person sitting in this church or listening online. There is no one perfect. The only perfect person died on the cross for me. And he rose again on the third day to give me eternal life. 
He is the only perfect person that ever walked this earth. We make mistakes every day. If I could remember my dreams, I'm probably sinning in my dreams, to be honest with you. It is who we are. Our nature, our sin nature, goes in direct conflict with God's nature all the time. And it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can defeat that sin nature. Does that mean that we're not going to sin anymore? No. But it means that when we do sin, we know it and we're uncomfortable with it and we do everything we can do to get back to where we need to be. John also writes that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not the things that we do. It's what God does for us. That's love. The society says to accept sin, but God says love exposes sin. And I want you to think about that. When we come face to face with God for the first time, when we, we meet, encounter Jesus Christ for the very first time, His love for us, does it say that our sin is okay? No. What happens when we come to Jesus Christ for the very first time? He exposes our sins. He puts it out there where we have to, we see it and we know that we're sinners. Just like that thief on the cross. He said, I deserve what I'm getting. Jesus Christ exposed his sin and the, the, the thief knew that he had to deal with it right then. And he asked Jesus to forgive him and to remember him as he entered his kingdom. And did Jesus do it? Yes, he did. Now we have to understand something. When Jesus responded to him hanging on the cross, it wasn't just a flippant response that we would give like, we're do, like I'm talking to you now. It took effort because Jesus was hanging there on the cross. Every breath that he took was excruciating. For him to speak... He would have to lift up, push up on his arms and pull on those nails to get a breath to speak. And he says, today you will be with me in paradise. Through excruciating pain, he forgave him and he saved him because he dealt with his sin. His sin was exposed. See, Ephesians 5.13 says this, but all things become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. See, John also says in, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, he said, the light came into the world. Big L, talking about Jesus. But the world did not receive it. He came into the darkness, but the darkness did not receive it. Why? Why is that? Why do people become uncomfortable when you start talking about sin? It's because the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is not comfortable. And people don't want to be uncomfortable. They want to feel safe and cozy. We all do. 
So people avoid talking about sin because it makes people feel uncomfortable. And they would rather people come here and sit in the pews and be comfortable than be challenged and be convicted by the Holy Spirit and leave this place a changed person. Because we're afraid of offending people. But here is my question. If we believe loving others means approving or accepting their sin, we mock Jesus and His sacrifice for our sin on the cross. So here's the question. If everything's acceptable and everything is tolerated, then why in the world did Jesus have to die? It's a blunt statement, blunt question. If we think we know more than God did, does, and we've made everything okay, then why did Jesus have to die? We make a mockery of it. Andy Stanley, who I have had questions about in recent years about some of the things that he has said and preached, but when he first started preaching and he was still at First Baptist of Atlanta, he preached a sermon and he actually said this, he says, we got a lot of explaining to do when we get to heaven. Because what Jesus died for what He shed His blood to cover and to give us forgiveness for, we have turned into entertainment. And He said, when we get to heaven, Jesus is going to be sitting there and He's going to say, so you thought this was funny and you laughed at this and you participated in this and you promoted this, but didn't I die to give you forgiveness for that? How are we going to answer that question? Church, we are called to be a separate people. A holy priesthood. A peculiar peculiar people. A strange people. And we have to realize that Jesus died for a reason. He died to expose our sins and show us a different way. He died to give us forgiveness. His blood was shed to wash as white as snow. And by accepting everything that everybody wants to do, by tolerating everything and allowing things to come into the church and not deal with it, we're making a mockery of that sacrifice. And then the third thing is that good and evil should not be confused. Now, I'm going to read this verse out of Isaiah. And I want you to think about today's times. Isaiah 5.20, he wrote this, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And today's world, We have Bruce Jenner who becomes a woman. An ugly woman, but a woman. (laughs) Celebrated 
raised up. And then you have somebody like Tim Tebow that bows and prays on the football field and he's told to shut up and sit down. We're calling evil good and good evil. And Isaiah wrote about that thousands of years ago. We must refuse to call evil good in the name of tolerance. If God says it's wrong, it's wrong. End of story. There is nothing that we can do to exchange that. Redefining good and evil apart from God's Word is dangerous and unloving. You're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. How can that be unloving? It's this. If we truly love somebody, we want the best for them, right? And when we change Scripture, or we change the way we define things away from Scripture, then we are not showing love because we're not wanting the best for people. We're wanting them to be comfortable and not challenged. But we are commanded to make disciples. Disciple means disciplined follower. And I don't know about you, but any type of discipline I've ever had in my life has not been pleasant at the start of it. I remember when I started playing football. Our coach told us we weren't going to be the strongest, we weren't going to be the fastest, we weren't going to be the biggest. We didn't even have a weight room at our school. We didn't even play the games at our school. We had to go to the local Pop Warner field and play our football games as a high school. But he said, you're going to be in the best shape. You're going to be disciplined. You're going to know that when the fourth quarter comes and all those other teams that got their hands on their hips and they're breathing tough, you're going to be sitting there and you're still going to be running like it's nothing. And so he began. In 100 degree temperatures, two a day practices, he began making us run. 100 push ups, 100 jumping jacks, 100 sit ups, 100 sprints. He liked, that. he liked those whole numbers. And it, oh, at first, oh, it, people throwing up all over the place, people passing out on the field. I mean, it was horrible. I didn't have my driver's license yet. My mom and dad worked, so I had to ride my bicycle to practice. Rode it four miles to practice. When I got done with practice, I didn't even know if I was going to be able to keep that bicycle up straight. And I found out as a senior that my coach, when I was doing that, he followed me home every day to make sure I got home okay. If I'd have known it then, it would have scared me to death to think some man was following me in a car. But the discipline, it paid off. 
as we started going through that, as we went through that punishment, as we went through that torture, we began to get better. We began to build our bodies and our minds, and we became a disciplined football team. That's what a disciple of Jesus Christ does. When we start, we have the convicting power of the Holy Spirit continually challenging us, but giving us the strength to get through it. And as we continue to move through and work out our salvation with fear and trembling, and we come to stand before God Almighty Himself after we've left this world, and our salvation is made complete, He looks at us and says, Good job, my good and faithful servant. That is our goal, but it takes being disciplined. It takes getting through that uncomfortable part till we know that it's because of love that we're dealing with all of this. And again, why did Jesus die if everything's acceptable? So where do we go from here? We must realize that judgment of sin is real. We have to realize this. See, Romans 6.23 says this, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, the... There is a punishment that awaits all of us. The moment we are born, the moment we take our first breath, what do we begin to do from that moment? We begin the process of dying. We are never going to escape that. This life is only for a certain time. We are only here on this earth for a short amount of time and then we die. It is because of sin. Not only physical death, but spiritual death are a result of sin. The forgiveness of God is necessary because wrath and judgment are real. You know, a few years ago, Bob sat right here where Joy's sitting right now, and he told me one Wednesday night, Bob Ramsey, he said, our problem is, is that preachers don't preach about hell anymore. And he was right. Church, I want you to know hell is real. Some people will teach that it is hell is nothing more than a separation from God. It's not what the Bible says. Yes, you're separated from God, but, he, but the Bible describes hell as being in a place of eternal torment where the fire does not get quenched and the worms don't die. Just eternal torment. It is a very real place. People will say, well, if God is love, then how can He send anybody to hell? 
God doesn't send us to hell. God doesn't want us to go to hell. That's why He sent Jesus to die on the cross for us to keep us from going to hell. But He tells us that if you don't accept Jesus, you will go to hell. We're the ones that send ourselves to hell. Because we refuse to accept the fact that we're sinners. We refuse to do things God's way and we refuse to accept the mercy and grace that was given to us at the cross. God's not the one that sends us to hell. We are. The forgiveness provided by the cross is the greatest love, not because it ignores sin, but because it deals with sin. Think of it this way. I had a place on my back that Ginger had been after me for years to get it looked at. And I refused to get it looked at. I wouldn't talk to the doctor about it. Every time I'd go to the doctor, she'd say, did you talk to him about your back? No, I didn't. It kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, it got to the point where it was bleeding. And it was bleeding through my shirts. I've got brand new polo shirts that I've worn one time that I can't wear anymore because there's a big spot on the back of it that won't come out. So she finally convinced me. I talked to the doctor. The doctor looked at it and says, yes, you definitely need to go to get that looked at. He says, it's outside of my range. He said, I can take it off for you, but you need to make sure there's nothing more going on. So I went to the dermatologist. He looked at it and he goes, yes, you definitely have cancer. And he said, but there is a place beside this place that looks very questionable. I'm going to biopsy both of them and send them in. They called back with the results from the biopsy. And he said, the big one, the nasty one, the one that was bleeding, he said, it is cancer, but it's the best type of cancer you could have. It's the kind that doesn't spread. Once we cut it off, it's gone and it will not be back. He said, but that one beside it, that literal one, that's the worst type of cancer you can have. We've got to get it out. I could have been mad at Ginger because she refused to let up on it. But she kept pointing it out to me. And she kept after me. She did it because she loved me. And she exposed the problem and made me deal with it. Sin is the same way. We're not helping people by ignoring it. Because we're not making them deal with it. And sin has to be dealt with. And then, lastly, we must live in light of judgment and salvation. James 5.20 Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death 
and will cover a multitude of sins. You've heard it said, love covers a multitude of sins. Right? It's not that love lets you get away with those sins. It's that the love of Jesus Christ caused Him to die on the cross for us and shed His blood, and that blood washes a multitude of sins away. So if someone brings a sinner to God, he is then saved. Not the person that brings, but the sinner. He becomes from just an ordinary sinner to a sinner saved by grace. And the love of Jesus Christ covers all of his sins. You see, a tolerant person allows someone to continue to destruction because of a fear of offending by pointing out the sin. See, look at this illustration that if there was a a blindfolded man walking around up here, if I was blindfolded and I was walking around up here and I started heading to the cliff, a tolerant person would allow me to keep walking because they were afraid they would offend me by saying something about me being up here with blindfolded even though I was about to fall off the side off the, the stage. But the loving person confronts a person and pleads with them to accept the way to avoid the coming destruction. See, a loving person would run up here, get a hold of me, and tell me to watch out that something is coming, that the edge is there, that I'm going to fall and and hurt myself. They would plead with me to take the blindfold off and see what is actually happening. Church, that's what love is. Love is not accepting everything that comes along. Love is not accepting sin in the church. True love tells us that we have to go out and warn everybody that there, and, and let them know that there is a different way Yes, we're commanded to love our neighbor as ourselves. We don't want, I don't want pain. And therefore, I shouldn't want you guys to experience pain either. This life is full of pain. But if we can help people experience a different way of dealing with it, if we can show them that it was love that was slain on that cross, that is true love. Calling evil, evil, and good, good, 
and telling people what God wants from us. Listen. I have family members that are living a totally different lifestyle. Does that mean that I don't love them? No, I love them. I love them with all my heart. But they also know that I'm going to tell them the truth about what they're doing. They may avoid me because it makes them feel uncomfortable. But because of my love for them, I have to keep telling them. Church, we have been given a job to do. And we can't do it if we water everything down. Because it gets to a point where there's not a, a reason to believe in anything. We have to be honest. We have to base what we think is good and bad or evil by what it says in God's Word. And we have to teach that the greatest love there is is the love of Jesus Christ. Because He's the one that paid it all for us. And He did it because of our sin. So church, this is my question for you. What type of love do you want to show? Do you want to show the true love that exposes sin and tells people how to find forgiveness of that sin? Or do you want to do the fake love that says everything you want to do is okay? I know which one I'm going to choose. I'm going to continue to preach God's Word, and I'm going to continue to say that right is right and wrong is wrong and, and, and sin is sin. Not because I define it that way, but because God defines it that way in His Word. And it's not because I hate anybody. It's because I love them. Now this is a time for you to do business with God. If there is something that you need to confess, do it. If there is somebody that you need to talk to and get something straight with, do it. If you want to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, Today's the day to do it. We have people all over this room that would love to be able to share with you on how to accept Jesus Christ. If you want to become part of this fellowship, do it today. This is your chance right now as we sing. Would you stand as we sing our hymn of invitation, page 134, Jesus Paid It All. 134. Savior say, my strength. 
also have a building and grounds meeting. Oh, excuse me, Baptist men up here at, uh, as soon as we finish. And Father, let us pray. Father, we thank you for this day and this time that we can be in your house. We thank you, Lord, about this, this lesson, this preaching that already gives us today about love. Help us, Lord, to always be the kind of people that you died on the cross for us so that we could be the kind of, have the kind of love that you could have. Help us always to strive for that love and to never give up. These things we pray in your name. Amen.